0: All right, welcome back. Second hour of the program here. Five minutes after the hour of 11, it's the sports station, 106.3 KXNOs. We take you here uh, up until, well, just before noon. Coming up toward the bottom of the hour, Nick Gosen covers Iowa State for 24-7 sports, CycloneAlert.com. But right now, Scott Docterman is my guest. He writes for The Athletic. I really enjoyed your piece today, Doc. First of all, good morning to you. Uh, the Northwest Triangle of Hate. Um, and, and uh, listening to some of the quotes from some of these players, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa, these three teams just have to play every single year, Doc, and, and I know it didn't happen during the leaders, whatever that the thing was called, legends, um, but man, I sure hope to. However this works out, that Iowa has the two, these two schools throwing Nebraska permanently on the schedule. How are you, Doc? <laughs>
2: I'm doing well, Ken, and uh, I could not agree with you more. I mean, this is these are historic rivalries, and they all kind of build their seasons around one another. I mean, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin and, and Minnesota have played each other since the 1890s uh, with regularity, and specifically, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin are the is the most played rivalry in Division One football, and they play for one of the our more iconic trophies in Paul Bunyan Zach, yep. and Iowa-Minnesota plays for Floyd of Rosedale, which I think is the best traveling trophy mm-hmm. uh, in college football, and then Iowa-Wisconsin is really the flagship rivalry of the Big Ten West. Uh, they're only two and a half hours apart from one another. Uh, they are built with similar tenets and principles. And, uh, you know, so to take or remove one of those really hurts, in my opinion, uh, you know, what you gain through expansion, which is you, you you know, devalue a rivalry that's been critical and embedded to the history of the Big Ten Conference. So I hope uh, – I hope they, you know, wise eyes come to fruition here on this one because I just don't know if that's going to be the case.
0: So, Doc, take us through a Saturday morning or a Saturday, whatever the part of the day is, before the game. You're a media member, so you're not caught up in the, you know, the back and forth between the fan base. But when you go to Madison, where you're up in the Twin Cities, or even if you're over Lincoln, does it just feel different? Can you, as a media member, even get the – Get the vibe that, yeah, this feels a little different than some of the others.
2: Yeah, I would say that in in Minneapolis and Madison in particular, um, you get a vibe. And, you know, in Minneapolis, you you walk to, you know, outside of now, I guess, Huntington Bank Stadium, and you've got people out there, uh, you know, walking with pigs (laughs) and, you know, dressed them up in in different, uh, you know, attire, gopher attire, Uh, you know, the chance, who hates Iowa, we hate Iowa. It goes on um, outside the stadium, inside the stadium, pregame, during the game, after the game, uh, you know, even in basketball games against other opponents. It's really, it's a living uh, rivalry. And same thing with Iowa and Wisconsin. It's just like, okay, you know what you're going to get. You know what kind of physicality you're going to get. And, and so when they, I think the fans are, are really like-minded in so many different ways and Uh, A lot of beers (laughs) could, you know. I I would say it's not that different than what you get from Iowa State. Just maybe not necessarily the familiarity of, uh, you know, friends, neighbors, coworkers, that type of thing.
0: And then you throw into, what, 2002, the goalposts, (laughs) trying to get them out of the Metro. I mean, what a great story.
2: Yeah, that was incredible. (laughs) Uh, You know, going all the way back to certain things like Floyd, you know, there was one time where, you know, they what they would do is they used to pass it over after the game. There was a real trophy rush. But in the 50s, one time Iowa lost and had the trophy, and uh, Forrest Staviszewski was just so bitter about sending it over, he kind of refused to. Finally, they started getting really mad, and so he told one of the, uh, the team managers, okay, take it over, but make sure to hand it to him hind first.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> you
2: know, so there's all kinds of different stories among these three teams.
0: That's good. Well, Doc, uh, let's uh, let's get to your trip to Indianapolis. I, I know that uh, it, was, it was the last Tuesday and Wednesday, so we've had maybe some time to reflect or maybe some time to recall something that uh, might have slipped your mind for at least a moment. What um, – what stood out to you, whether, whether it has to do with Iowa or whether it has to do with uh, you know, listening to one of the other coaches or players at Big Ten media days?
2: Yeah, i tell you what. Um, it, it was a strange couple of days for me because I was pretty, pretty much uh, stuck on the, on the Big Ten duty, uh, you know, but I did do a little bit with Iowa. And, and I, th- I think really with Iowa, it's, it's, there's a level of confidence that maybe I didn't quite expect. It's not there very regularly, and it's it's more intangible. It's hard to put a point on it, but but I do think that they feel really good about this team and where they are as a program. And and uh, you know, one time I think it was Chad Leistikow from the Des Moines Register asked, "So you, do you really feel good or something about your offense?" And Kirk goes, "Well, yeah, I do. Uh, it must be really bad out there, you know." <laughs> so it's just uh, there is kind of a disconnect in how they feel or what they think about their offense versus. Maybe the what Ray, the rest of us did, did and, and do, and, and I think part of that is just because we actually watch the games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think in their case, you know, that they're practicing. And yeah. Maybe they see the improvements that so we don't. So, uh, you know, it's it's going to be hard to say, you know, overall. But I think by and large they they're pretty healthy. You know, they're they're a little bit hindered at wide receiver, I'd say, and mm-hmm. losing Justin Britt for the season is a is a problem, but. Um, but it's not one that I think that will make or break their year.
0: Uh, so, so a bigger question, Doc: uh, Is it the offensive line and Brit, or is it the maybe, as we see it, uh, a lack of depth in the wide receiver w- room? I think that,
2: that you know those are both pretty tough topics. I think for this team, I think they're two of the more critical ones. I like the texture of the offensive line. I think it will get better than last year. There's really no way it can get worse, um, and and that's kind of a negative to last year. But I did see a lot of improvement, and it's easy to get that overshadowed when you're watching Aiden Hutchinson and David Achabo make all right. those plays. Right. <laughs> but they, you know, they ran the ball very effectively against Kentucky, and that was something that I didn't quite expect them to do. And, and I think you're seeing Mason Richmond's a sophomore, Connor Colby's a sophomore, can they take those steps forward? Center will be a uh, step back, no question. But they've got two talented guys there, so you've got you, they've got some pieces that they need to kind of build up. You know, they need one of those quote good stories that maybe a right tackle with Jack Plum or or Nick DeYoung and and maybe a couple other guys to step up. They needed seven or eight guys to to be an effective unit, but I, I think they feel pretty good there. Uh, to me, the depth at wide receiver is is kind of a concern simply because. Two out of their top three receivers were out a lot during the spring, Keegan Johnson and Nico Reganey. So, uh, you know, if one goes out again or, you know, even, you know, dings an ankle or has to come out after a long breather, you're going to have to have, you know, four or five, maybe even six wide receivers who are capable of taking snaps. And and so building that depth to me is, is critical. At least Jackson Ritter got in the games last year, a few of them, and could run capable routes. And do the right thing. Uh, I don't know if the others can or can't, So, but we'll certainly find out pretty early this season.
0: Did that uh, confidence in the offense, um, did, did, did you hear, did you get the sense that that's how they feel about their quarterback, Who's going to be asked to lead that offense as well, Doc?
2: I can't tell you if it's uh, saying it or believing it, and I, I don't know, and I think we're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to, either way, you can't just line up without a quarterback so one of them is going to have to be out there and but at this point uh they feel like both have improved how much um well they need to prove a lot but mm-hmm. I do think one, one interesting factor was Alex Padilla got brought up every single time we started talking about Spencer because it's been kind of almost a, a you know a, a foregone conclusion if you will that that Spencer Petrus was going to be the starter and and every time Kirk Ferentz would then bring up uh, Alex Padilla, and then he said, well, you have to because he played last year and we won games with him, so mm-hmm. you feel like he needs to be a part of it. But So does that mean that it's a big competition or a small competition? I don't know, I, I but my anticipation is Spencer Peters will be the starter. But if Alex Padilla has a really good camp and Spencer plays the way he did last year, I would not be surprised if it flips.
0: Hmm, interesting. Well, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, where there's clearly uh, fewer questions uh, regarding that uh, regarding the roster. Yaya Black was a guy that you know this time last year, Doc. Um, everybody was talking about him for whatever reason. It didn't click. Certainly not writing the kid off. Uh, everybody gets to that point uh, at, at different periods of their uh, of their stay at Iowa. What about what do they expect from him this year?
2: I think they expect a lot. He's got potential that's probably beyond most of the other players on that line, except for maybe Aaron Graves. Uh, so I think the potential is there. It's really about marrying that with the fundamentals and being inside, uh, you know, being a, uh you know, a, a defensive tackle and required to take up two blockers in a lot of cases. It's hard to do that, especially, you know, he was a redshirt freshman last year. He didn't really get a lot the year before as a true freshman, just simply because of the COVID year so. I, I, they expect him to do well. He was also a little bit hurt too, most of the year, so that didn't really cost him. But if he can actually get in there and rotate, do a really good job, which I think they expect, uh, that he's a difference maker. He's got, he, he's, his size is massive and he's you know now 306 pounds and it's not, he's not a lard in there. I mean, he's, mm. he's got a, you know, a really big ability. He's got the potential to be a bigger version of Davion Nixon, although I won't, You know, predict that kind of, uh, you know, that that those kind of statistics or anything, but I think he's got a chance to to really be an impactful player inside if he can take those steps forward. And he's still just a sophomore, so there's more to come even beyond this year.
0: I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But <laughs> might this be one of Phil Parker's best defenses? When we look back and um, obviously injuries are it's a contact sport. But when I look at this roster, Doc, when I when I look at the what uh, the the starters, even you know, the guys that are waiting their turn behind them, I mean Terry Robson's been there forever. He could have played a lot of play, he could have played a lot of snaps at a lot of different schools. Um, might this be Phil Parker's best defense or is is that, you know, let's file a wave and maybe have this discussion at a later time.
2: I think the potential is there, no question. Um, last year, I expected a bigger drop-off up front along the defensive line because they lost three starters, including Davion Nixon and Chauncey Golston, who are first-team All-Big Ten guys, really good players. And, it you know, it cost them a little bit early, but not much. I mean, they played pretty well, and then they still registered more than 30 sacks, um, despite having that kind of a young unit. And losing Zach Van Valkenburg, well, well, he'll be missed, but he's not even the kind of player that Golston or, or Nixon was. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot there to, to fret about. And I think you see guys like Lucas Van Ness, Deontay Craig, YA Black, you know, who are capable of, of taking those steps forward. The line should be fine. The linebacking core could be as good as Iowa's ever had. Um, You know, it's right there with. Uh, James Morris, Anthony Hitchens, and and Christian Kirksey, and I think Campbell is probably the best out of those players. And finally, but the secondary's got some pieces, uh, you know, missing, but they also have some experience. You know, when they lost Matt Hankins, Jamari Harris went in there and intercepted four passes, and his game against Kentucky was by far his best. Uh, You know, there's a few question marks, you know, but then you have a Cooper DeGene who's just built differently and, and plays differently than most other players that I expect him to step in and be a difference maker, kind of like a, a Tyler Sash, but he might even I think he might have a chance to be better. Wow. So they, they really have a great, I think, a, a really tremendous unit. Now, they'll be tested quite a bit. I think Iowa State has the potential to test them. Certainly, Ohio State will test them and a few other teams. But, you know, I, I do think that they have the potential to be, you know, a top ten defense nationally and in many categories.
0: Uh, last thing, Doc, and, and again, it's Big Ten Media Days. Uh, punters and kickers, with the exception of the kid at Rutgers, probably don't get asked about a lot. Um, but this is a concern for Iowa. As many uh, many years as we've seen, you know, Steve Rowe puts it: the margin for error is so close when uh, either you come out on the right side or the wrong side. Normally in these Big Ten games, we just don't know who's. You know, is Drew Stevens a true freshman? Is he ready? This Aaron Bloom. We don't much about these guys. Boy, the pressure on whoever wins this. Kicking spot uh, as as they go through August. This can be one of the stories to watch.
2: No question. It, it, to me, outside of quarterback, it's probably the competition to watch and uh, in importance because we know how this team plays. I mean, at times they play very risk averse, and, uh, and and field goals matter. I mean, in the last three years, they've had five four field goal games, and mm-hmm. they've won them all. You know, with Keith Duncan or with Caleb Shudak, and you really need. A kicker to come through in some critical moments. I remember in particular at Iowa State during that crazy rain game in 2019. Keith Duncan had four field goals in four different quarters in four different kinds of weather and sunlight, <laughs> and and they won by one point. That is really an important part of this game for this team, and so we won't maybe one wins it, you know, completely. Maybe it's a tough one like Shudek and, and Duncan, but let's face it, we're not going to know how good they are until they're lined up mm-hmm. again. Iowa State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, when the wind might be, you know, swirling and, and maybe snow's coming down or rain or something like that. And They've got to win a game in a hostile environment, so we won't know that. Um, Duncan certainly did and Blue Kisses and, and Schudig did and, and, you know, it was not quite as emphatic, but I, I think that's what we we just won't know those answers until those critical moments.
0: Uh, since uh, you, and you mentioned it that you've had uh, in, in Indianapolis, you had so much other Big Ten stuff uh, to cover. What one of them had to be the media uh, rights. Uh, what what are you hearing? Timeline: Will we know before uh, before Labor Day weekend? And how do you think, or what are you hearing uh, as far as how it's going to shake out? We you know Fox is going to be involved. Uh, what what uh, what have you heard kind of through the grapevine?
2: Yeah, I had a uh, long meeting with uh, Mark Silverman the president of Fox Sports and we went over this and he said a couple of weeks and before Labor Day. So, you know, that gives it you know, pretty much this month. I would expect it, probably no later than the middle of this month. And the the question is as far as who lines it up. I kind of if, if I if I was betting on this and I would not, but if I was, uh Fox obviously is going to have its tier one rights as always, but I would probably lean towards CBS, uh, getting a mid-afternoon game, and I would lean towards ESPN pulling something out at the end to to maintain those ties because although basketball plays such a minor role in any of these discussions, it it is important. And, and, you know, the Big Ten has had a relationship with ESPN since 1989, Hmm. Tech games on ESPN. So it needs to continue that relationship and basketball. Is huge content in you know, January and February on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you've got Indiana versus Michigan State. They'd much rather have it on ESPN. Uh, I think it's mutually beneficial to have it on ESPN as opposed to some other networks. So, I would expect that to be the case. And finally, I do think there will be a streaming option. I, I would bet on Amazon pulling out uh, a game a week, and maybe I don't know if it'd be a Friday night or another option, but but we'll see. I. I but I do expect them to have a streaming only uh, option coming forward.
0: Uh, what have you got coming up with the athletic you'd like to promote this week, Doc?
2: Yeah, I got a lot of stuff. I've, uh, you know, as, as you said, you know, we got the the Northwest Triangle of Hate uh, mm-hmm. that I published today. I'm writing a kind of a, uh, a summer camp preview today. You know, highlighting some of the issues related to Iowa. Uh, you know, topics to, to watch, players to watch, and then, uh, you know, sometime I think early next week I'm going to publish another breakdown with Brian for one of the games we talked about. So uh, that just takes so much time. So I'm going to do that later in the week and, and then work on a few other things. You never know, maybe this media rights deal will be, we'll finish out here pretty quick and, and I'll be writing some of on that too.
0: Thank you, Doc. Appreciate you. Have a good week. I'll talk to you next week. Well, Trent will be back. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thank you, Doc. All right. Thanks. P- appreciate it. Scott Dockerman from the Athletic. Well, that's interesting. With CBS now getting involved, um, I know that the Big Twelve thought that perhaps that might be uh, their opportunity to uh, grab one of those uh, that that uh, time slot that you know has been such a dominant window for so long with the with the SEC uh, and all those good games that end up in the middle of the afternoon. There was a lot of conversation, and um, well, the Big Ten's not probably going to end up there. That maybe opens the door for the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or a combination of those two. If indeed the Big Ten is going to uh, take some of that inventory, maybe not the news that Big 12 fans wanted to hear, uh, because that seemingly would have been a, a perfect scenario for that to happen. Great stuff out of Scott Dockerman, as always. We will take a timeout. Come back. We'll move from Iowa to Iowa State. A little Cyclone conversation coming up next with our friend Nick Olson from Cyclone Alert 24-7 Sports. He's broken boy, he's broken a ton of stories since he got over there. Uh, Nick will join me next. The Clones begin fall camp. Media days coming up for Iowa State. I believe Tuesday. We'll get the latest from Nick when he joins me. It's eleven twenty-five on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Just past 11.30 on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Ken Miller with you as we... Tyler Allen is here as well. He's producing the program. Grateful to him for doing that. We take you up until toward noon. Nick Olsen coming up here momentarily. We will get to Nick Olson on Iowa State. want to remind you again of the first annual Raccoon Valley Little League Charity Classic. It is coming up on August the 14th. Heard today uh, that this tournament uh, that will raise money... Uh, for the uh, raccoon Valley little League uh, is only has two openings left, so they are filling up very very quickly it 's an eighteen hole scramble, bunch of prizes your entry fee includes golf balls t shirt lunch proceeds go to support the league as we mentioned again, if you had a, um, a a child go through that, if you went through it if a you know a family member just if you know somebody uh the raccoon Valley Little League, they are raising money. And this is how they're doing, so they also accept donations. But if you'd like to sign up for this event, and again, only two spots left. August the 14th, Willow Creek is the spot. You can go to rvllclassic at gmail.com, rvllclassic at gmail.com. Spots dwindling. Nick Oson. Iowa State conversation with our friend from Cyclone Alert 24-7 Sports. Nick Trent's on vacation. Just me. How are you, Nick Olsen? I'm great, my friend. How are you doing today, Ken? Doing well. It's about to get uh, a little bit. Hard. This will be, you've had a busy couple of you know sl- the slow months have been busier than maybe some would anticipate. <laughs> but man, it's on this uh, starting this week, Nick. So tell us about the week. Iowa State meets the. Uh, when do they begin practice? When will the media have their uh, opportunity to talk to some of the coaches and, and players? Is it Wednesday?
1: Uh, so we've got local media day tomorrow okay. with Iowa State football, and then they'll get going with fall camp on Wednesday. So obviously, you know, I've been around these types of events, certainly when I covered the Badgers back in Wisconsin, and it seems like things will be pretty similar. And, you know, it, it sounds like we'll be able to speak to actually a lot of uh, players. The names were not, you know, necessarily put out beforehand, but I assume a lot of the big names, you know, maybe some overlap that we were able to speak with in Dallas and, I'm getting my my questions and my legal pad ready. It should be fun and and a busy week, honestly, for sure.
0: No, it's going to be great for you. My my favorite part about covering Iowa State Media Days over the uh, years is you get the opportunity to walk out on the field, right? And there's just something about being out there on the field it's pristine at this point. They always do a great job, uh, with the, uh, at Jack Trice, but just being out on the, it just feels like the long wait is over and by gosh, football season, uh, has arrived. Uh, so Nick Olson, you'll be covering that. I uh, look forward to your coverage. So let's talk a little bit about the roster, Nick. Uh, and then we'll get into some of the, uh, uh maybe comings and goings since we last spoke, but, um, you know, the roster itself, as I see the wide receiver position with, with Hutchinson back and, um, Dimitri Stanley, you told me he's, he might be the fastest kid on the team, the transfer from Colorado. We saw Jalen Noel last year. Uh, you've been telling us about great gains for a long time. Daniel Jackson. I don't want to say that there's um, uh, there's going to be real battle uh, for, uh, for for catches, but it's good to have this many, seemingly anyways, uh, players that would be able to step up and take advantage of whatever opportunity comes their way.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that it's, it's a good thing. You know, I guess you could say technically, and this is one of the kind of position groups that I want to ask about in terms of a competition, because I have heard at least two to three names that could be Kind of that third option or third spot behind the big two and X and, and Jalen, as you mentioned. And I love the, the Greg Gaines mentioned there as well. But I think Dimitri Stanley, no matter how many kind of targets he'll get, he just brings that speed element with stretching the field. And when you have an arm like Hunter Deckers and you're able to get that pass protection from the line, which, you know, I mentioned last week that the line actually has a lot of confidence coming in this year. I think that really just opens up the offense. Obviously, the Big 12 has kind of improved and transcended a little bit in terms of their defense the last few years, right? And Iowa State mm-hmm. is one of the faces of that, with you know defensive coordinator John Haycock doing such a great job. But you're going to need to still score points, and with this offense, I just I haven't been shy about it, so I'll, I'll continue it. I just have these expectations because, like you mentioned, at receiver there are so many options. And I think those top three or four guys all bring you something different, which is why, sure, not everybody's going to be, you know, catching 40 to 60 balls apiece. But if you're doing what you need to do in practice and showing that you bring that other ability, like Noel after the catch or, you know, X being Mr. Reliable mm-hmm. or Demetri Stanley downfield, then you're able to kind of loosen up the defense, do a lot of different things. We've talked about the running back core and the tight ends, which, They're not gonna have the big name as expected like the last couple years, but there's some confidence within that group as well. So I'm really excited to see it and how, you know, Coach Manning kind of uses this offense to the best of its ability because there are a ton of options to catch the football.
0: Well, and you mentioned the tight ends. Clearly uh, Kohler and, and, and Chase Allen was there for a long time. These guys left their mark in a positive way uh, at Iowa State. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, Russ seems the uh, Jared Russ seems to be, he's in that blocking mold tight end, right? Uh, we know Easton Dean, he's a big kid. What's behind him? What do you know, if anything, Uh, about is is it Tyler Moore or Hanukkah Who do you think of those two that find themselves behind Dean and Russ on the depth chart? Uh, When it's all said and done, do you expect either one of those guys uh, to make an impact on the 2022 Cyclones?
1: Yeah, so I I don't always mean to be Mr. Diplomatic here, but truly I think that they all will see the field because, again, they bring different things. I, I think that I'm probably the highest on Hanukkah just because he impressed me in spring ball just with his catching ability and kind of what he's able to do with the ball. But as, as you know, I mean, your, your knowledge shines here as well. You need to still be able to kind of close off the edge and do some blocking at a tight end position. And that's something that, you know, might be a little bit more of a group effort. Obviously, Russ can do that very well. I think I'd trust Easton Dean to do that too. And then you kind of figure who can do that a little better while still making plays with the Rock, you know, kind of after the catch there. So I truly see all three or four of those guys getting plenty of play. You know, Russ is going to hold kind of that hybrid fullback tight end role for certain. So that won't be lost or anything like that. But if you're just looking for kind of an explosive play, you know, you're maybe looking to go, four or five wide, like we mentioned, those wide outs with two tight ends. I like Hanukkah there on maybe a third and long. He just really showed me something that I didn't necessarily see from all of the tight ends in spring, and we got just these little glimpses, but I know that there's not only buzz with him, but a lot of confidence with that whole unit. Tyler Moore as well. I'm excited to see it because you lose the big names, but as we kind of seem to hit on every week, this is going to allow for other young, talented players to make their mark, and I can tell you that there is a lot of confidence at that position.
0: Interesting. Uh, maybe this is a, a foolish question, um, but who is Rocco Beck clearly number two? I mean, we know it's Decker's job, um, but is, is Rocco Beck in a battle for that, you know, the next man up uh, on the uh, uh, quarterback depth chart line?
1: Yeah, I mean, last time we actually really got to see these players in action, which I, I do believe was actually back in April. He certainly was, it, it was back then. it was cook going for that backup spot. Now I think that Beck can, you know, maybe throw it a l- little more zip on his passes, probably the more talented option. And I do think he likely takes that over at, at least during the season in terms of backup. Like we've talked about, there's a little gap between one and two, but cook has turned some heads with the staff this season. And, and I wouldn't necessarily Rule him out, you know, granted, he's been working mostly as a walk-on, obviously, which kind of speaks to his ability and, you know, really the talent in the quarterback room as a whole, especially when you add a guy like J.J. Cole next year. But there has been a battle throughout the year. I would expect Beck to eventually get there. I don't think that's all done by you know early August right now,
0: though. I'm anxious to know as we move to the defense, Nicholson Cyclone Alert 24 7 Sports is my guess. Colby Reader, uh, obviously, his one and only year in the program, uh, but he's 25, 26 years old. He played a lot of football. Can a guy like that – I mean, how much of a leadership role uh, do you think Haycock and Campbell are are going to ask out of him? Yeah, it's his first year there. There's been a bunch of guys that have played a lot of football on that roster that are still there. But Reader, just because of his age and the number of games he's played, what kind of leadership role will they ask him to take, do you think, Nick?
1: That's a really good one. And and I can tell you it's actually been a pretty sizable role already. I remember – back in spring when we really got to talk with these guys and hear about, you know, some workouts when he first got here and kind of demonstrating that leading-by-example role. Reader will be a leader on the defensive end. He might not be the most vocal guy with, you know, guys like, obviously, Orion Vance and, you know, Anthony Johnson in the secondary, but Reeder was someone that really impressed in the weight room, and you can kind of tell when somebody – is moving in and transitioning well and, you know, kind of succeeding when we get the opportunity to speak with them so early. And, you know, he is expected to have a major role on the defense. I mean, they brought him in to have a top flight, likely starting role in that linebacking core. And, you know, from what I've seen both on the field, those short glimpses as well as hearing from from him and the staff, he's really, really impressed. And, and I'm excited to see what he can do because, Again, linebackers is another position where a lot of talent was lost even to the NFL after last year.
0: Yeah, Mike Rose uh, certainly uh, one of those big pieces that they're going to have to replace. Uh, so let's get to the the special teams and you know it's it's very similar over in Iowa City. Iowa State finds themselves in the same kind of uh predicament as well. We just don't know who's going to you know, line up to kick that 40 something yard field goal to take a lead or to, you know, to make it a two score, whatever the scenario may be. We just don't know. We know Meavis was really good as a Cyclone, not so much as a Jacksonville Jaguar. He lost Uh-oh. his opportunity over the weekend. Um, hopefully he'll get another opportunity. Just, uh, I don't know what it was because he was, we saw him with our own two eyes at Iowa State and they could count on it, but we don't know what's there. Uh, or do we? Who, do, who are you? Um, hearing the most about as to who's going to succeed uh, Asali and Mevis in the in the kicking game?
1: Yeah, so that is actually one of the three main position groups that I'm kind of deeming a, a battle or a competition uh, going into this week. Um, you know, true freshman Jace Gilbert from Oklahoma. I remember I mentioned him very early in my time here because he was a late addition to the class. He's really impressed as a freshman. Bittman has done the same as well, at least in terms of kicking field goals. So I think that there will be two or three names legitimately battling for at least another two to three weeks. I do think that, you know, true freshman punter Tyler Perkins has a shot to get some, you know, real game time run and, and play early because he's shown on his, on his Twitter, and it, it sounds like early in his time in the program that he just has kind of too big of a boot to not give him a shot early. But, yeah, kicker, along with that last wide receiver spot and potentially the second corner, those are some big spots that I have as kind of question marks or competitions heading into fall camp, which I think is healthy for a team mm-hmm. because you want to have kind of the, the base and the crux of your roster all set, but you want fall camp to actually be mean in something and not just kind of... Getting guys into shape and into game prep as well,
0: no doubt. So, has recruiting uh, slowed down at all for you, Nick? Or did you? Uh, we know Balu made his commitment. What was it? Was it last week, early in, in the week, last whenever it was? It's been relatively recent. But after that, has there been anything that you uh, want to share with us?
1: Yeah, I would say football. You know, the big name that Iowa State is kind of waiting on is Kenyan Sadiq. I know I've brought him up. He's one of the absolute best players in the entire country. He's the top 150 guy. Iowa State's looking at him as a tight end, and I think it was yeah, the morning of, of our show together with you last week, I put in a crystal ball for him to come to Iowa State. I've, I've just been really impressed with how the staff has handled things, and that's going to come down to the Cyclones and the Wolverines. So certainly mm-hmm. not you wow. know, easy by any means, but that's a big one right now. Um, I've been able to talk to a lot of basketball guys in the next class, so – I'd say maybe slowing down with commitment, but, but you know us. We're still keeping things rolling over here.
0: Indeed you are. We got off the air the, seemingly last week you told us about watch Caden Fish. Watch for this name to pop up. Seemingly, within 10 minutes of hanging up the phone from you, boom, there it was. Nick Olson, 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com. He'll be uh, on the ground tomorrow in Ames covering football media day, and you'll be able to read all of his coverage as you uh, can all season long. CycloneAlert.com, 24-7 Sports. Good job, Nick. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Yep, you indeed will. Nick Olson, Iowa State. As we get the latest on the Cyclones, a lot of six and six out there for Iowa State. Uh, you read the um, oh the prognosticators wherever you go. I saw the Randy Peterson. By the way, Petey's and uh, Lystico's a season long prediction. Lystico on Iowa, Petey on the uh, Cyclones. Both uh, published at uh, Des Moines dot com give them a day or two to get their clicks before I spoil that for them, Um, but uh, they go pretty in-depth on on that. If indeed you're interested at all in college football, and if you're listening to this program or this station, there's a pretty good chance that you are. We'll come back, finish out the show on a Monday. It's Miller & Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back. Good Morning Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Scott E. Frost is a New York Yankee. The Cubs have shipped the right-handed rookie, 28-year-old rookie, uh, to the Yankees. Uh, for the, believe, I don't know nothing about the kid, uh, the uh, right handed pitcher who's number seven in the Yankees list of prospects. So it seems like a pretty good return for Efrost, who's been good this year, and he's got a whole bunch of player control, but the Yankees making a move, and there goes another cub, uh, that will leave the roster. You know, just real quick on this, I, I just heard the, uh, the pizza, uh, the, uh, commercial, uh, for Jethro's, and they mentioned taking over the old Orlando's pizza. If you grew up in central Iowa and I'm not, you probably, well, my wife went there as a kid and she's my age. She, she, we're, she's 64. So what does that mean when she was a kid in the seventies, maybe six, seventies? There was a place called La Pizza House apparently on Southeast 14th. It was incredibly popular. Well, now the same people have opened up a spot and I don't even want to tell you where it is because every time I go there and I've been there twice, It's packed. And this is when the doors first open. It's absolutely mobbed. It's in a little town in central Iowa. All right, I'll tell you where Chris Williams lives there. If that gives you any indication. But boy, oh boy, is it ever good. What a gem. It's almost like it's on a residential street. That's the crazy part about it. No, nah, I'm not gonna tell you you can figure it out. But boy, it's good. I mean, if they if I went into the place and there was nobody there and I liked it, I would tell you because I wanted to survive. Because the pizza that I used to love, uh Whole Foods doesn't make it anymore. They don't make pizza. They they still got the oven, but they apparently can't get staff to make pizza. And I loved their pizza anyways. Uh, enough about that. But if you uh, are in the Bondurant area and you're looking for, if you grew up here and you loved La Pizza House when you were a kid or the family took you there and it brings back memories, um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's the same family that had La Pizza House all the way back apparently in the day. So I'm guessing she was there in the... With her family in the '60s and '70s, and still to this day. Anyways, uh, so light schedule in baseball tonight. Not a ton going on. Only one, uh, two. Well, one game. Two of the locals in action tonight. Uh, but that that's about it. Maybe the best game uh, of the night, well, the best rivalry. Uh, Dodgers and the Giants, they'll go at each other. But sadly, there's not uh, not a lot to get excited about, right? The Dodgers are running away with it. The Giants are five and a half games behind the Padres. They're 500 ball club. Giants might be moving out some guys when it looked as though they were going to be buying. But uh, like I said, this, the schedule itself tonight is not the shiniest by far we shall see are there going to be some major moves as do we get the wilson contreras ian hap news does that come today um for contreras's peace of mind i hope it does because he's not been himself he has not been himself this uh um this past month. You know what? I stand corrected. I see the the Twins also play. They host Detroit. So Twins host Detroit, but it's the White Sox and the Royals will do battle. But uh, overall, not the shiniest night. All right. Uh, so tomorrow, Frank Garz is going to join me. I kind of let everybody... Um, could have had him on last week, right? Either Luca or Frank and, you know, didn't want overkill, uh, with it, but he's going to join us because they've added another level to what they're going to do. Jess Settles and Frank Gars are going to team up with something. The event is coming to Central Iowa on August the 19th. Luca's holding a basketball camp. Frank is going to be there, but he'll be with me tomorrow at 1105. We will discuss that. What else tomorrow? Bama's going to make his final appearance. We've only got one Power Five conference left. To opine about, and that's the SEC. So we'll do that uh, early in the program. Mitch Holtus will be back with another uh, of his daily training camp reports from uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and then Frank Garzen will figure out what to do uh, from eleven thirty up until noon. All right, Murph and Andy, they'll be coming your way here in an hour and five minutes. I believe that Ross Peterson's vacation is over. Petey back in the chair with the Fanatics today at 3. I'm sure we'll hear about his fishing trip. I saw some of the pictures. Looks like he had a ball. Good for him. Recharge prior to college football. That's going to do it. Tyler Allen, good job. Thank you for what you do for me here today. Miller and Condon, thanks for being with us. Weekdays, 10 to noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3.